the path of the witch is so unique. The, the gift of witchcraft. I was able to see, hear, and communicate with spirits. A very personal relationship between a person and spirit. Carnal lust and some things like that. Working with different energies and spirits and communicating. Creating magic. Powerful yeah. ritual and powerful <laughs> spells. She's actually sending me in the cold. The role of the witch is to make change. Bless it be, y'all. Bless it be. People ask me, like, okay, I'm a witch, and I don't know what to do. Welcome back. This is That Witch Life Podcast. I'm Courtney, and I am your host today, and I am joined by Hillary. Hello. And Kanani. Hello. I am, uh, we've got quite a full show today. Um, Hillary is going to be giving us a the lowdown on using yarrow in your magic. Um, we have a listener question about a very intense experience with a psychic reader and a very special guest, Zoraida Cordova, author of the Brooklyn Bruja series, who will be talking to us about witches in fiction. Now, as a fiction writer myself, and I know there are a lot of witches who also write in really love fiction. This is exciting. I mean, we've had a lot of authors. We've never had a fiction author on our Good. show, or at least not somebody who their main thing is fiction. So this I'm super excited. Yeah, me too. Oh yeah. Y- y'all are going to love her. You're going to be mad that I didn't let either one of you host today, but there's a reason why I threw down and said I was doing it. <laughs> so, um, typically when either Hillary or I host Kanani does a movie review and that is not happening today. We will explain why. Um, so I turn to my co-hosts. How's everyone doing? Kanani, how are you doing? <laughs> God, do we have to start with me? We could start with Hillary if, if you oh, really yeah, want I to. Would, I, let, let, yeah, let's, I'll start with, let's start with Hillary. Um, I'm good. I What have I been doing? Um, I have been trying to figure out what to do with all the zucchini that my garden is making. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Actually, it's okay. Like, it's, I, I, it's now, it's... It's easing in about two at a time. So I'm like, I can deal with this. But at the beginning I was like, oh no, like I'm so screwed. I'm going to have more than I can deal with. So, and then of course everyone I know is in the same boat. So, so, uh, getting creative with zucchini. Um, I have been, uh, doing some, um, what else have I been doing? Uh, I've been working on a little bit of music, um, and have been, uh, I mean, yeah, like working, uh, it's weird. Like, I feel like I have less updates because I'm pretty much busy throughout the day. Today I was down in, um, Shampooey state park for a social distance walk with a coworker, which was nice. Mm. The dogs, dogs were thrilled to get out and, uh, and have something to do. So that was perfect. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the usual, like tending to the garden, which is getting, I'm going to, I, I overestimated or maybe underestimated, uh, how many tomatoes I might produce in my garden. So I'm, I'm ready nice. for the tomato onslaught. They're not there yet, but, um, it's going to happen. Um, and so yeah, just putting to the garden and, uh, and getting excited to see some of the herbs grow up because I'm starting to be able to harvest some so I can dry them for herb for cooking use, but also for magical use. Um, so that's exciting. That's what I've been doing. Well, you know, I mean, I've been thinking about you, Hillary, because as I continue to battle my weeds, 
I am envious of all the the abundance that you are having at this very uh, the early harvest time of the year, the zucchini moon. <laughs> I'm definitely getting weeds. Also, let's just put that out there. I had there was a tree of heaven, I think is what they're called, which is a very invasive tree here that uh, was here at one point, and it likes to like like pop up little mini asshole trees all over my yard. So I've been pulling weeds all mini over. asshole trees. they're actually really beautiful trees but they are like grow overnight like it's like there'll be nothing and the next day it's like very tall and you're like what and they never go away like we cut the tree down and it's sprouting new trees out of the old trunk I mean it's just like oh my god it's such a nightmare wow little asshole trees all over my yard oh my god if I were a tree that would be me that is what it's (laughs) like to be your friends Did you find your plant ally, Kanadi, the asshole tree? Is that your plant ally now? I would be the asshole tree. That would be me. Like, I'm like, maybe I should have used this magically because this motherfucker won't go away. So, like, (laughs) clearly it can be used for resilience. Yeah. Well, um, I just came back from Detroit Lake. Um, I was, I had the opportunity to go camping, which was social distance, just myself and my husband at the site. Stayed away from the other campers, being super safe. But as it turns out, I have a role in other people's lives that, aside from being a podcasting witch, I am also the aunt with the really scary ghost stories. And I managed I know, right? I was like, this is the plot twist that everybody saw coming. And um, (laughs) I actually managed to scare a 13-year-old boy so badly he couldn't sleep. And that wasn't oh even my, my scariest story. Like the, one of the young women that was there, she was begging me to tell my really scary stories. And I said, no. And her mother's looking at me saying, thank you. But I told my medium scary story, which I think I'm going to record and release on Patreon. It's one that um, comes from the uh, coastal Carolina region that my grandmother told me. And of course, you know, it's, it's one of those that everyone swears is true, a lot of local legends. And then also um, she has a special connection to a manifestation of this ghost that appeared to a friend of hers in a very, very uh, unsettling way. So I'm thinking I'm going to record that and release that on Patreon um, for people who would like to hear the story of Alice Flagg and the missing ring. And uh, now let's turn to Kanani. Kanani, what's going on with you these days? Oh, man. So... Um, I had spoken about how the last weekend we had been camping for Lunasa, which was really great and awesome. Well, we came back and my kiddos were very tired, which is not unusual for camping. And I just chalked it up to that. And later in the evening, my daughter came to use our bathroom because for whatever reason, they always use the master bathroom in the middle of the night and said, mom, I'm hot. And I thought, okay. And so I got up and I checked her temperature and she had a very, she, it was 99 degrees. And I'm like, well, that's not great. And I said, let me give you some Tylenol. I gave her some Tylenol. I put her to bed and checked on her about 15 minutes later. I took her temp again. It was 101. And I thought, well, this is not great. And she slept through the night and woke up with no fever and never needed Tylenol again, never had a fever again. I told my husband that morning I was going to go take my daughter to get tested 
And I drove her to the nearby city testing site. And since I was with her, I got a test as well. And we got tested for COVID. We found out 24 hours later that my test was negative and hers was positive. So that is why, even though I'm the one that plans the Detroit Lake camp out, we were not there. Um, we, if I sound funny, I'm wearing a mask. I have to wear a mask even at home. My daughter is still considered to be in her contagious phase. Uh, by the time this airs, she will be out of her contagious phase, which will be amazing. And we won't be having to wear masks in the house anymore. But for 10 days post her test result, we all have to wear masks in the house. We are sleeping in separate rooms. My daughter is quarantined to one of the rooms, and uh, I also try and, on the days that it's not too hot, which luckily has been most days, luckily we've had very mild weather through this, she spends the day on our patio because she can be out there without a mask and play and bring her laptop and her tablet and all those things, and um, it's been really, really hard. Yeah, I can't even imagine. That's like, well, and to have like, I mean, thankfully, just one habit, but also that's hard because it's like managing that with people that are negative is got to be really, really challenging. It's, you know, it's, she's done, she definitely has some more, I mean, she's, she's a kid, right? She's little. And so and on top of that, I think she has some of my, you know, previous kind of codependency tendencies. She really loves being around with family and, you know, we're never like watching TV together. We're snuggled up on the couch together. We're on top of each other. Like we're a very cozy, huggy, cuddly family. And so the fact that she's literally kind of been quarantined in some ways I think has been kind of good for her because it shows her that she can do it and she's okay. Um, and she like Facebook messages me and videos me and we chat and we prefer, I think one of the reasons she likes being out on the patio is because I can see her through the door and she can see me and we're kind of together, even though we're not together. And it's just been impossibly difficult. It's, it's been so hard to not be able to be together that's the reason why I didn't watch the movie. I was supposed to, and I will review ever after, but that is a movie I wanted to watch with her and I can't, and I'm not going to cry. It's okay if you do cry. And I think, I think it's also people may not, people may not realize how young she is. She's nine. I mean, she's, she's nine and a half. She's nine. Yeah. So it's a nine year old little girl has to stay away from her family for the next 10 days. Right. Yeah, that's really hard. Let's see. Right now we are, at the time that this airs, we'll have been two days past, and so we'll we'll be past this. But at the time we are now, it's been a week. Um, Listeners, just FYI, I did order Kanani some DoorDash Dairy Queen, which may arrive during the recording time. My kids are very excited about that. Yeah. (laughs) So there may be an interruption where um, either she has to go to the door or if they call me, we have to then let her husband know to let the Dairy Queen guy out. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure my husband will probably bring it in while we're recording, which will be pretty funny and I'll let you know. But I don't know if yesterday was the worst because we, 
because they the boys had gone, my husband and my son went yesterday to get tested. And I just kind of started spiraling because I was waiting for if one of them pops a positive, it has to start the quarantine all over again. And then, you know, what if one of them doesn't have, you know, luckily for us, she had a couple days of not feeling well and then she's felt fine. So her biggest issue right now is boredom. So I can't imagine enduring the stress and everything that we're enduring if she were also actively sick and having to care for her. I don't know how I could emotionally, like, that would be so difficult. And so I was, yesterday was a really, really rough day. And then I woke up today and I was just like thinking to myself, I just don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to be able to do the podcast. I don't know what's going to happen when we get the test results. And then I was explaining to Hillary, the way it works is if you, when you test negative, they send you an email that says, hey, you got a negative result. If you test positive, they call you. So when it happened with my daughter and I, I got an email around 1230 that said, hey, you got your test result back, you're negative. We waited and we waited and we waited and I'd never got an email from my daughter. And then all of a sudden, three hours later, I get a random phone call and I'm like, oh God. And so that was them saying, hey, we just want to let you know she's positive. Well, my husband this morning got a negative email at like nine o'clock in the morning. So the hours went by. And so we've spent pretty much all day waiting for the phone call, just assuming my son is positive. And so we've just been trying to prepare for that and just get our minds around that. And what are we going to do? And, and then randomly when I was talking to Courtney and I was in my email, I get a thing that pops up that says, you have a new message. And it was a negative for my son, which was amazing and wonderful. So amazing. I'm so glad because I was also like, oh, no, if they have to start all over. I know. Well, we were we literally spent six hours today waiting for a phone call, like, you know, thinking, you know, OK, they're going to call because otherwise we would have gotten an email by now. So luckily they have tested negative now. And so. Um, it's just been, I've never been through anything like this and it's so stressful because there's just literally nothing you can do. And there's so much of it that just involves waiting. Like the worst was when she was sick and they follow up with you after day or after day six, because they say if someone's sick, if they take a turn, it's usually on day five or six. So I spent the first you know, six days just holding my breath thinking, you know, she seems fine, but is all of a sudden she not going to be fine and have to be in a hospital. And so after the weekends, I kind of calmed down and then we needed to get the boys tested. And then now we've gotten that. So it's like, I woke up probably a three out of 10. And now I think I'm probably like a six out of 10. So I'm feeling better because I just, to have that makes me feel better. My daughter still acts fine and seems to be fine. So she seems to have had a very mild case, which is very reassuring. Um, But this has been so emotionally draining and exhausting. And I just have to say, you know, as silly as it sounds, you know, I spent three months not working. It kind of was crazy when we found all this out. 
I was just being brought back to my job. So as much of a blessing as that was, it was also incredibly stressful because I'm just now learning that my child has this and I have to try and put my work brain back in my head. Oh my gosh. That's so, it was so helpful that we have this Patreon now because we have some Patreon subscribers who are, are helping us and supporting the podcast and allowing us to try and keep doing this and not have to pay for everything out of our own pocket. And so it was so nice to actually start having a little bit of, of what we've invested into this start coming back to us. Cause it was like one of the most needed times. And yeah, I mean, it came at such an important time. It, it's just, it's, it's so helpful. And I can't thank people enough for supporting the podcast and, and being Patreon subscribers. Like there will be food and ice cream in your house. We're not going to let you go hungry. Exactly. So I just, I mean, the kindness that people have shown me and, it's it's really helped to make a really dreary situation feel more manageable, and I just can't thank I can't thank people enough for that. Good, I'm glad you feel supported. That's really important because the truth is is that people actually do like you. <laughs> Show so bizarre. You haven't ruined everyone's dreams yet. You've you've tried to chase everyone away, but you've been wildly unsuccessful. Again, you're calling me a failure. You're kicking me while I'm down. You're calling me a failure. <laughs> you found the goat. But I do I do this. I wanna I wanna thank everyone because this podcast has meant so much to to me and we've been doing it for, you know, almost a year and a half now. Yeah. And I just, you know, if it weren't for supporters, we couldn't keep doing it. So I just, I want to thank everybody because it's your support that allows us to, yeah, to do this. It's, I'm so grateful for our listeners and our Patreon subscribers and everyone and all of our guests who have been like, so, so generous with their time and also help support us. It's been really amazing. Yeah. And you know, along that note, um, if I sound like I'm not, screaming into a laptop mic anymore. It's because I am no longer screaming into a laptop because because of our supporters from Patreon and Coffee, I was able to get a real live podcast recording mic this week. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's that's something we um we absolutely want to thank people for and it's also been a really great outlet to be able to share the bonus content that we can't always fit into an episode like the story with uh, Nani knitting in the graveyard. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, oh, we, that was like, it was so juicy. We were all enthralled, but it was the kind of thing we couldn't fit in because it wasn't ex- explicitly on topic and we only have so much time we can put in this podcast. So that is something we were able to release on the Patreon page. So if you are one of our patrons, um, definitely get over there and, um, and check it out and um, hear about Nani, how they connect with uh, spirits in the graveyard through fiber arts and also just, you know, other works of service in the graveyard. Um, also for everybody who signs up, we have extended our invitation to, um, anyone who becomes a patron between now and the end of August, um, to join us for our live ritual on August 30th. And that is available to patrons of all levels, um, starting at a dollar and up, uh, this ritual, as well as our, um, our bonus content. And, um, as always, if, um, uh, Patreon subscription is more than you can do. I mean, no monthly charges can be a lot. Um, you can also buy us a coffee. It's a one-time thing or, um, pick up some of our handmade Etsy merchandise, yeah. which I am now sending out. Well, can 
Hanani is in quarantine, um, <laughs> exactly. which means they're not quite as prompt as um, they they once were. But um, once she's out of quarantine, she'll be taking it back over. But that's a couple of ways for people to support the show. And, uh, you know, we, we can't thank you enough, especially right now when we do um, have one of our podcast hosts is in need. So thank you all. Um, so switching gears, uh, Hillary, we wanted to, uh, you wanted to tell us a bit about the use of the herb yarrow in magic and witchcraft. Yes. So I love yarrow. Yarrow is genuinely one of my favorite herbs to use magically. It's also very easy to grow. Um, it's not a super finicky plant. If you just give it water and it gets some, it doesn't even need to be, it actually doesn't love direct sunlight, but gets light and water and you take care of it. Um, it's not super high maintenance and it grows really well and it can be used for many different things. So it is known kind of for like three facets more than anything else in my opinion, or four facets, I guess is like courage and confidence boosting protection, uh, enhancing psychic abilities and, and love or or friendship. Um, so there's a lot of different ways you can use it. So if you're looking to, boost your self-esteem. Like if you're feeling a little, like your confidence is taking a little hit and you're going into a situation where you're like, Oh my God, I'm feeling it. Carrying a little bit of yarrow with you in like a pouch or like, you know, putting it in your pocket or in your purse or whatever you have on you, um, will help helps with confidence. It brings in really like strong, like positive, happy, confident energy. Um, and so I've used it in a number of spells. Um, I've used it in incense before during a spell, during a spell or during a ritual. Um, I've put it in spell jars before. Um, I've carried it with me. Uh, I've also, um, you can, let's see for protection. You can put it above your door, um, uh, to protect just for general protection. If you're looking to, um, boost love in your relationship or marriage, you could put it over your bed. Uh, to kind of bring some like really happy love connectivity. Um, And you can also use it for friendships. So like if you're, you know, if you're feeling like disconnected from a friend, you can always, it just brings that nice, like comforting kind of like uh, connected energy Um, for, for dreams similar to other herbs. If you put it under your pillow Again, similar to we talked about, uh, we've talked about with actually multiple herbs, herbs, but you can put it on your under your pillow to uh, to boost psychic dreams. So if you're someone that gets a lot of information in dreams, it can be a good herb to put under your pillow to get clarity. So like if you're finding you're getting stuff but it's not very clear, um, or you need more information, it can be good to put under your pillow. But uh, it, you can use it in so many different ways. Yeah, I've I've put it in an incense blend before. Um, I've put it in spell jars. I've carried it on me. I've put it, I've put it on my altar. Um, I have not put it over my door, but I do know people that do put it over their door. So there's lots of ways to use it. Um, and, and, and yeah, again, it's like pretty easy to grow. It's also really pretty. It looks like the leaves look like feathers. Um, it's very feathery and it has, and it flowers these really pretty like little clusters of white blossoms. They're really pretty. It's a great herb like an old English custom that was used with yarrow. It was for a girl to pluck yarrow, uh, uh, from a young man's grave and sleep with it under her pillow and in her dreams. And her future husband would appear. Ooh. I, I think that it's, I've heard, I've heard many people and I have had success in using it 
in, in helping reconnect with people that I feel I've been distanced from because it is this like kind of happy, um, you know, like come together. I don't know. You know, I, I, I've just found that like, I've used it in spells, uh, when, or in, in rituals when trying to like, just to like reconnect because I mean, again, I, I feel like as we've talked about with love spells, quote unquote, many times, like you can't create something out of nothing. Uh, but you know, if you feel like you just need a little energy boost or you want to keep the love alive, you know, having it over your bed is a great way to do that. Kanani, I think, um, maybe some bouquets of yarrow in your house, either during this quarantine time, especially afterward, when you're trying to put this awful energy behind you all, this might be a really good way to do it. I was just thinking that same thing. I was thinking that's actually would probably be really good to have after all this is over. You could even smoke cleanse with yarrow in your house. That's a good plan. I think, I think that that may be a really good herb for so many of us right now when, you know, most of us are not feeling the extreme kind of separation that Kanani's feeling, but uh, you know, there isn't anybody that's not impacted by this. So yarrow, yarrow could be the herb of 2020. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks Hillary. That's, that's really helpful and very timely, I should say. Um, so let's turn to our listener question. So, um, this listener said back in December, I had a group reading from a psychic and during my portion of the reading, she said I was the quote, mother Gaia incarnate end quote. How would you interpret that? I have a deep connection with green magic could she have been referring to that, or do you think, feel she meant it literally? Also, she said I had strong psychic ability. I feel this is true and regularly have psychic visions or experiences, but one, I struggle to interpret them, and two, don't know how to develop or strengthen this ability. What would you all recommend? Oh, boy. <laughs> what do we think, guys? Okay. I have some thoughts. I mean, my guess... If someone said that to me, I would assume, again, I can't speak for this person, but I would assume that what they meant is they were tapping into like that green magic energy, right? Or that green witch energy. I mean, I don't know how, I mean, that seems like a weird thing to say in a literal sense. Like I, I don't, I don't think any, in in my opinion, I don't think any one person, (laughs) like, like Gaia, mother earth is like, it's not, yeah, that. Um, I don't think that, I don't think that can literally be contained by a single human, uh, in my opinion. Um, however, I bet that when, when she said, or when this, when the psychic said this, that it was, it was again, really feeling that strong earth energy, that strong connection to earth and green magic. And that that is probably where that statement was coming from. So if that were me, if I got that, I would go, Hey, this is a key for me to really look deeply into what green magic is like, or earth or plant magic is like, right? Forest magic, natural, working with the elements magic, like that I would deep dive, uh, into that because you might find in that deep dive that there's something that sticks out that go, that feels like really right for you. And then you can kind of follow that that trajectory. Yeah, I agree with with your assessment of what this psychic meant by the Mother Gaia incarnate. Uh, for those who are not familiar, Gaia was a term that the ancient Greeks used for the planet Earth, and that has been adopted by a lot of traditions as being synonymous with like a mother goddess goddess figure. Um, where I would caution this listener is against uh, group 
psychic readings, those very Mm, easily move into a performative aspect. And you end up getting a lot of those kinds of readings where they're like, somebody is picking up on the fact that you're psychic and all of a sudden you are the next Buddha. And it's like, well, no, <laughs> no, that's, that's, um, that's something that is, uh, I, I think this person was probably, um, being a little dramatic. Um, and I say that kindly cause I really don't like these kind of psychic readings. Um, but I would take all of that with a grain of salt. And I don't think that you should need to be concerned about what it means to be mother guy incarnate, except that I think this person got a little carried away. Um, but I, it probably is a sign to, you know, explore more about your abilities with plant magic and explore more, um, your abilities with a psychic phenomenon. Now you also, um, asked about psychic visions or experiences again, really broad topic. Uh, we talked about this a couple episodes ago with, um, Paige Vanderbeck, the fat feminist witch about like how to start interpreting them. And we also touched on a little bit with Nani last week. Um, so the best thing to do, we would, I mean, I always recommend like taking note of things that have happened and start looking for patterns. Um, especially if you do have this kind of green magic, you may start to notice more signs among the plant world or the animal world. You may be able to start developing a language with the spirits through that way. Um, so I would recommend you, you know, just pay more, be mindful and pay attention and understand this is a journey. You don't need to master the skill right now. I mean, I've been deep in the craft since I was like sure. 16 years old and I am still figuring it all out as I go. Just keep, you know, doing what you're doing and learning about what you're learning about. And, um, you know, if you're curious about things, maybe get, a more specific one-on-one reading with someone that you, that you trust. But I mean, it sounds like good plan, you know, good idea. You're doing, you're doing all the right steps. You're taking all the right, you know, moves. So just keep doing what you're doing. And, and I would always caution someone to be skeptical with any reading. Even if you think, you know, that's the best reading I've ever had. It hit me perfectly. You still need to look at it with a certain level of skepticism and open-mindedness and, you know, and not necessarily just get excited because they told you what you wanted to hear or, or whatnot. So, cause I think we all have a tendency to do that. Also speaking of Paige Vanderbeck, uh, uh, she has a book called uh, on green witchcraft. So yes. check out her book called green witchcraft. It could be a really good resource. And then also recently we uh, spoke with Christopher Penzak who wrote the plant spirit familiar, uh, also a great book on developing a relationship with plants in magic uh, really good. I mean, I, I learned a lot from him just being like, Oh my God, I didn't think of it like that. You know? So, um, those are some good resources. There are many out there more as well, but just some recent, more recent guests. Um, they have some great stuff out there. Uh, so I'm super excited to welcome our special guest today, Zoraida Cordova, who is the author of many fantasy novels, including the award-winning Brooklyn Brujas series, Incidiary, along with Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, A Crash of Fate, and The Way to Rio Luna. Her short fiction has appeared in the New York Times bestselling anthology, Star Wars from a Certain Point of View, Star Wars Clone Wars Stories of Light and Dark, and Come On In. She is the co-editor of Vampires Never Get Old. She is the co-host of the writing podcast Deadline City with Danielle Clayton. Sarita was born in Guayaquil, 
Ecuador, and raised in Queens, New York. When she is not working on her next novel, she is finding a new adventure. Sarita, thank you so much for being on today. This is so exciting for us. We are very excited to have you on. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. This is great. I love talking about witches and witchcraft and writing witches, so it's all fun. We have a lot in common then. (laughs) (laughs) We already have so much in common. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I just as soon as I listed all these books, I just felt Kanani going to Amazon and clicking, especially since she has even more time to read now. So right? we should confess that, yeah, the Patreon did buy me a new microphone and will cover her DoorDash fees. But what it honestly ends up covering is all the books we buy that are written by our guests. <laughs> Amazing. Also, uh, on August 14th, La- August 14th, Labyrinth Loss is going on like a Kindle 199 sale. So if you haven't gotten that yet, like Ooh. it's going to be on super sale for like a week because the third book comes out September 1st. So they're, I guess they're doing like a two week price promo, which will be matched by all of the digital retailers. Cause they, as soon as Amazon puts something on sale, everyone else is like, well, we're going to put it on sale too. So, <laughs> you know, they try to match it. That is fantastic. Okay. Y'all, y'all know what you're doing now for the last couple of weeks of August. I know. So, like we don't have other things to do. So read that book, get <laughs> on there. <laughs> Um, yes, this is actually the first time we have had a fiction writer, um, whose, whose primary work is in fiction on our show. And so this is great because as we were talking about earlier, how many witches are really into fiction and how many people, even if they don't identify as witches, love reading about them. So it's, it's really a perfect match. So, um, so right. A question, do you Mm -hmm. identify as a witch yourself? There is no wrong answer. If it's no, you can still stay on the podcast, but you know, (laughs) do you identify as a witch? Thank you. (laughs) I think I do. And I've I've been thinking about this since I was uh, 10 years old. I have, I have a diary entry from my, my, you know, my diary was covered in Spice Girls lollipop stickers. (laughs) I'm 33. So (laughs) that was my, that was my, (laughs) that was my, you know, my coming of age, right? The the Spice Girls were big in 1999. Yes. Um, And so I I remember reading, rereading my journals because uh, the young adult industry, like we like to have events where we read our, our teenage diaries for, I I guess, like self-flagellation and, and, and uh, embarrassment, (laughs) public shame. So I, I found this diary entry where it literally said, I've decided to change my religion from Catholicism to witchcraft, but I can't tell my mom. And I was 10 years old. And this is, it's, it's, it's hilarious because that was the, so the way that I came to this is I, you know, I was raised Catholic. Um, I'm from Ecuador. So our primary religion is, is, is Catholicism. Uh, and I was baptized like the day that I was born because my dad didn't, my dad was fighting with my mom's family on what I should be named. So because they had me baptized, they were like, Oh, you can't change your name. Cause she's baptized now. Uh, <laughs> and that's just how it works in Ecuador apparently. And, and so I've, I've, I've basically like been culturally Catholic my whole life. But then as soon as I discovered, uh, I discovered Wicca first uh, through, you know, Silver Raven Wolf books, which uh, her books, she had like these teen, teen uh, how-to books on witchcraft. Yeah. Uh, and I- Teen witch mm-hmm. and how to write a silver broomstick. Yep. yep. And I had all of those. And so I would go to the garage sales because I guess somebody in my neighborhood uh, must have been like Wicca once or at least had a teenage 
uh, teenage witch in their house because those I would go to this house and they would always have these books for sale. Uh, so it was just meant to be, right? And and I I, I just I never really I love the the ritual of Catholicism. Uh, and I love a lot of, I love saints and, and I, and you, you don't have to separate Catholicism from witchcraft. Like you could be a Catholic witch if you want. Uh, but I just, I never really identified with the patriarchy of it all. Uh, and so the older I got, you know, I, I did my first communion and then I refused to do my confirmation. Uh, and that's really where I diverged. And, and as I got older, I stopped really practicing anything, but I like, making, I still keep, I still keep an altar and I, I travel with a little altar all the time. Um, no matter where I go, I just have like my stones and my, um, my, my Palo Santo. And, uh, I have a lot of, I collect a lot of saint cards from, uh, family funerals and things like that, that, that have that from, I haven't lost a lot of people in my family, but the ones that I have, I do keep, uh, and I put, I keep those with me in, in, in my little travel altar. Uh, so it's, my relationship is always tenuous cause I fluctuate between, I believe in nothing. And then, and then I believe in Poseidon. So it's, it's just weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the I mermaid know. parade in New York city is, is literally a procession in honor of Poseidon. Like they literally make an offering to Poseidon mm-hmm. there on Coney Island, which, and you get a lot of people there who might identify as Catholic or don't believe in anything at all. Or they also say that they're witches and everybody is dumping fruit into the ocean for Poseidon. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Actually. in my, my very first novel was because of them. I, I wrote, it's called the vicious deep and it's out of print now and not available anymore. But uh, I wrote it when I was 19 years old because I used to hang out in Coney Island all summer every day. And I, I was like, well, why do, why does, why the mermaid parade? And so I, I had this idea that like, what if mermaids return to Coney Island once every 50 years? And so that was the inception for my novel. And I wrote this whole series on that. Um, because of the mermaid parade. <laughs> I am going to find that book. Cause I marched in that damn parade every summer. Oh and there's a God. chance. No, I think I, oh, there's a chance I might've been marching while you were out there with, with that novel in mind. So I swear to God, <laughs> I'm out there. If you ever saw a sea witch walk by with purple hair, that was me. Um, I have a lot of pictures. I'll have to go through them. <laughs> oh my God. Find a yeah, picture was... of Courtney. Please send it to us. Hillary, it's not hard to find. They're all over my goddamn Facebook page. I know, but someone else's picture is going to be the pictures that you pose in. Okay. <laughs> like, I, want I want B-roll evidence. Okay. Oh, oh God. Oh my God. Well, this, it's, um, I feel like your story, your story one really mirrors mine uh, quite a bit. And, but then second, like with, you know, be, between finding like the loving the ritual of Catholicism, but also having a problem with the institution. And that is so common, I found. And there has been like a real, um, I wouldn't call it a revolution because saints, like you said, saint, witchcraft and, and Catholicism have been secret lovers for centuries. Mm-hmm. But um I feel like at least in the the modern neo-pagan or modern witchcraft movement, there has been a real re-embrace of, of using the saints and of just acknowledging saying, I've got, um, I've got some cross connections here and I'm doing that. And I found people that didn't grow up Catholic or didn't grow up religious at all are turning to the saints. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause uh, I think that in Latin America, 
even if you consider, I feel like even the women who consider themselves brujas, they have a deep tie to Christianity, right? They, they still yes. believe it. Like it is that God um, and God, and, and they have that, that beautiful relationship with, with God. Um, and, and so when I wrote the Brooklyn brujas, I thought I wanted to create my own pantheon. Uh, so it was a little bit of a mix between the Greek gods the card game, the Lotharia and, and just what I, and like the, the anthrop, like anthropomorphizing emotion into Mm. deities. And that's how I sort of like, I started thinking, what does, what does a, a, what does a religious bruja look like in, in Brooklyn with like a Latin American background? How does that work? Because I, I think, I think about belief, uh, belief is one of the pillars of society uh, and so when I create fantasy novels, I think about what that society and different groups within subsets of that society, what they, how they believe, how they worship, how they practice, how that affects the day to day. And that's really a big part of world building. So I think about that all the time. I, the, this is like something that consumes all of my novels all the time. Mm. So, um, for those who are not, who've not yet read the Brooklyn Bruja series, and I'm sure all listeners are all downloading to Kindle immediately as I speak, but, um, this series follows three sisters who are witches and as they develop their powers and they battle magic in um, their hometown of Brooklyn and the worlds beyond, um, and each book follows a different sister. So could you tell us more about, um, you, you're talking about the world building and the pillars of belief. Could you tell us more about the magic of these three sisters and what inspired you to create that magic? Yeah. So I was originally inspired by, um, I wanted to write a Latina version of Charmed because I I love, you know, I love Charmed. I love Buffy. I love all of those supernatural shows in the like, you know, WB 11 in the early, the late nineties were very formative to me. But when I watched Charmed, they sort of just, took symbols from Celtic mythology and called it witchcraft, right? And then they added all these special effects. And that's not the same thing, right? The conflation of that uh, and and sort of the, the witchcraft. You see, I don't know if you guys have covered Sabrina or what your feelings are on the new rebooted Sabrina R. Uh- did we, did we, did we do... Kanani, did you review Sabrina not, yet? That might need I, to be. I on have your- not. I have not done that, but I can tell you, I came about Charmed about two decades later. I started watching it about mm-hmm. five or four years ago, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm hooked. I love it. I'm, I'm obsessed with it. I don't know if I would have been as obsessed with it then, yeah. but I, hundred <laughs> percent. I think you and I were reading the same books. I'm pretty sure you and I both read Goosebumps, right? Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely, oh, yeah, yes. I definitely read Goosebumps. I read these books called uh, uh, "In the Forests of the Night" by Amelia Atwater Rhodes. Uh, I was, you know, I've always, I, I started reading teen fiction as a teen, and then I wanted to write teen fiction as a teen, and then I just sort of never uh, aged out of it. <laughs> That's amazing. yeah, yeah. But I want to come back to the question about the the magic of with, within. Um, within these sisters. So you're talking about how you, you wanted something that was um, broader than just the Celtic mysticism, which I think you're right. And then a lot of people don't 
it's a whole other topic about like Celtic being a very broad term and, and a lot of um, people don't necessarily, like especially Hollywood producers don't necessarily understand that and just kind of lump anything that kind of has a, a flute in there as, oh, that's Celtic-ish. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, being able to, to, to branch out in this incredibly rich world of, um, of magic and traditions of witchcraft in, um, in Latin, like Latin America or other parts of the you know, Spanish speaking world. So tell us more about the magic of these sisters. Yes. So, um, once I watched, you know, I, I always think about how, uh, the shows that I watch use, they just take sort of take symbols and, and use them like willy nilly doesn't no cultural context. And I think that when it comes to creating a magical system, there has to be cultural context because everybody practices in different ways. So in order for me to create the, the brujeria, the magic of the Brooklyn Bruja series, I had to think about where do my witches come from? And so my witches, obviously, if they're part, they're part Puerto Rican, part Ecuadorian, and just, I wanted to sort of create sort of like a, a pan Latin family. Um, and so they, that you can't talk about Latin America without acknowledging, uh, the slaves that were brought over to Latin America, uh, the indigenous people that, um, were already there. And then the Catholicism that was all brought in. Um, and so all of that creates so many different kinds of belief and you see it in the music, you see it in the way that people, um, use certain gods specifically in Santeria. Um, and so when, when I was, I sort of did anti-research or like counter research, uh, for my books, because I didn't want to include anything that was already pre-existing in Santeria or the day of the dead. Um, I basically like took my own, took the, the idea of a pantheon with, uh, a, a, um, two parent gods and then their children, and then I gave them, um, I gave them each personalities like the Greek gods, but I gave the naming convention comes from Spanish words. And then I created textbooks within the world of the Brooklyn Brujas. So they have like a book of spells. Their book of spells is called their book of cantos, which canto means uh, to sing. Uh, and so it's sort of like every time that they're doing a spell, it's like they're singing to their, to their gods. Um, and, um, other than that, the imagery is, is all very Latin. Like in my house, we have a lot of plants and roosters, like rooster imagery is really important. Um, the things that we say about luck, uh, all of that sort of made it in. Uh, but I very much tried to create my own, my, my own, I created my own gods and I created my own spells. Uh, and I also created my own monsters, um, which were based on on the the scary stories that my grandmother would tell me as a kid. Oh, the best stories, the best <laughs> ones! I know that the but my favorite ghost stories are the ones my cousin told me. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the ones that still scare me when I repeat them. Was there a moment in which you? were really saying like, I want to write about witches or was it something that just kind of came organically? No, I think that I've always, I always had this story in me, you know, out labyrinth loss is a story of a girl who wants to get rid of her power. She has the, she's an incantrix. So she has the power of all the gods. Um, and also all of my witches are given, they're, they're born with like the, the, the power of certain gods. Um, and 
and, and some are stronger than others because some people are more talented than others. So it just works that, you know, that selection. Um, but she's sort of ashamed of it. And so it becomes this metaphor for like, for her culture um, without, you know, trying to, without being like, Hey, your culture is magic. <laughs> but I feel like that's such a, I feel like that's such a, a, a true story because, um, you know, as I've, I've gone through witchcraft, I found a lot of people that come from these very um, deep, rich witchcraft traditions. Um, and there's, there's sometimes they, they throw them aside or they just, they don't, or they start looking for, um, you know, something from a different tradition. Like, cause they think, oh, I, I should be studying something that's, um, quote unquote Celtic when it's, it's, you know, they, they may actually have an entire lineage of witchcraft in their family that they're either, um, ignoring or just because of, of cultural prejudices and racism that they have been, you know, uh, they've been tamping down. So I feel like that's, it's so, it's so real what your character is going through. Yeah. And I think that I, having the the system of sisters was really important for me because you can see how people come to certain religious beliefs in so many different ways. It doesn't have to like, not everybody is going to have the same approach to this belief system. Um, and, and so that was really important for me to show that, like, even if we come, like, listen, we're all in the same household, but we, we believe in different ways and that's okay. Uh, we all find ourselves to it, to whatever we need, uh, in our own terms. Um, do all the sisters have similar abilities? I know what you said, at least one of the sisters is, is the whole premise is that she, in trying to get rid of her, her, um, her magic, she ends up you know, opening essentially what is like an onslaught of, <laughs> of so much magic. She doesn't know what to do with it. Um, so is, is what are the other, the other two sisters, what is their relationship like with magic? So the, uh, uh, the labyrinth loss is about the, the middle sister. Uh, as for the, <laughs> the sisters, the oldest sister is, gets the, the second book, Bruja Born. And she, she has a very deep connection to her magic and she's a healer, but after the events of book one, she sort of lost her way and she needs to find the spark of her magic again. And so she accidentally unleashes a zombie invasion that is tied to her uh, in New York, in Brooklyn. So she, it, that one's still set in New York, in New York. And in book three, it's the youngest sister who's 15. Uh, she has always been very confident with her magical ability. So for her, it's not so much that she needs to find out who she is or, or uh, embrace her power. It's more she needs to fix things because her two sisters, her two older sisters have messed everything up. So she's like, I'm going to go in and I'm going to make things right uh, because I have this new ability and it's awesome and I'm awesome. And then she, oh, she, like her overconfidence is sort of what leads her astray and, and sort of causes, um, uh, it causes, uh, you know, shenanigans. Amazing shenanigans. <laughs> I love it. So, um, you also have a whole series on vampires, which is another, another topic that goes through, through cycles and it's uh, vampires have enjoyed popularity for quite a while. I don't, I don't think that it's really waning as much as it, I think that, the witches, the interest in witchcraft is catching up pretty quickly. So tell us about your vampire series. So the Va Vampires Never Get Old is an anthology that my friend Natalie Parker and I 
came up with uh, a year, uh, two years ago, we were floating in a pool. We had a writer, a writing, a writer's retreat and we were in a pool in the Alabama Gulf shore and uh, which I had never been to before. So uh, we were, I, I just said something I definitely had, I was in my cups. I had like, I don't know, like a bottle of champagne or wine or something. And I said, you know what I miss? Vampires. And then all of a sudden, like all the other authors who were in the pool with us were like, yeah, vampires. Because we were talking about how sort of trends come and go, but vampires have always, even though the publishers don't know what to do with it anymore, there are still people who want to read about them. It's just the books are not available in the traditional space in the same way that they used to be in 2005 when Twilight came out. But, you know, 15 years later, everything's so cyclical. We have a new Twilight book out this month, right? August, 2020. Um, and so we came up with, we came, I, I said, we should call it Vampires Never Get Old. And we came up with an, we came up with a list of authors that we would, uh, we would ask to contribute stories. And there, you know, we, so we have a, uh, Victoria Schwab, who wrote A Darker Shade of Magic. Uh, we have my, my business partner and fellow podcaster, Danielle Clayton. Uh, she wrote uh, she wrote us a vampire short story as well. I don't know if you've seen the movie Dumplin' um, on, on Netflix, but uh, that author... Yes, yes that, I love, love <laughs> that movie. So the author, Julie Murphy, she also, she's writing a fat vampire slayer, Um who is in high school, obviously. So it's basically like a fat yes, vampire slayer. Yes, I love that. So she wrote uh, a cheerleader, a fat cheerleader, who's a vampire slayer living in Texas. Awesome. And her name is Jolene Obbs. Uh, and so she, <laughs> and so it's, it's a very, you know, cute, like short story um, about like her thought process and, and like coming to coming uh, in contact with, with a vampire on a school field trip. It's, it's really fun. It's, it's a mix of really dark stories um, and a mix of really fun poppy stories, which mix that like that Joss Whedon humor and also that like Anne Rice traditional darkness. So we have a good combination yes. of everything that comes out September 22nd. And we're so excited because we've gotten a such good reception uh, from reviewers so far. And we're, uh, we're uh, we're doing a lot of we're doing a lot of good things with uh with this anthology I think. So I since I wasn't able to give a review a movie review previously, I'm going to uh, use this time to piss everyone off. My friend made me come to her house to watch Twilight. I would not <laughs> talk to her for three days. I. Uh, so angry. <laughs> Why you hate everything? I was so angry. I just kept saying, I want these two hours of my life back. I want them back. I was so mad at her and she loved it. She ate it up. She'd read all the books. She loved the movie. I was so angry. I would not talk to her for three days. Uh. <laughs> so Kanani, here's a big question. Which movie did you hate more? Twilight or The Wicker Man? Well, The Wicker Man gave me nightmares because someone was burned alive. <laughs> so that was far worse because I actually gave it actually gave me nightmares. The other one, <laughs> oh my god, the Wicker Man will always be the worst. My husband is still angry with you for making us watch the Wicker Man. Why? Why are you like this, though? <laughs> like literally, why? 
Stop shitting on everybody's dreams, okay? <laughs> if your dream is the movie Twilight, then you had it coming. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I mean, the author of Twilight did dream. She did say that she had like a dream in which she saw these two people and and she wrote it. And, you know, like, it, you know, I, I have mixed feelings about it, but uh, because I, I, I did read it when I was in high school. And, and so it... it it came, I sort of came of age with it in the publishing industry because it changed the way publishers buy books. Uh, and they started giving more money to certain kinds of books. Uh, and it was just like this phenomenon, but I recently rewatched the first movie and I was like, this is actually terrible. And then, but the second movie has better lighting. The actors have more chemistry. I really like the second movie so much more. (laughs) You had me at this movie was terrible. (laughs) my co-editor natalie parker and i we have we're sort of just dissecting the 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 novels um from the the 90s and early 2000s that came out in teen fiction and sort of uh shaped the way that people wrote about vampire and how like the vampire boyfriend became such a phenomenon in 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 that space um, and so we've been, we've been going over that in, in a podcast called, which is like vampires never get old, the podcast. And so we've had a lot of fun dissecting that and figuring out what worked then and what does not work now. Um, because I, I, I have to read Midnight Sun, the, the fifth twilight for an article for sci-fi fangirls, uh, com. And so I'm just like, wow, like. At this book could not, would not be the same if it came out now. But I think that the the metaphors of vampirism and witchcraft have always been part of teen fiction for a reason, um, because of the marginalization, that loneliness that you feel, uh, that wanting like a specific connection to something bigger than yourself. Those themes are always going to be in fiction in 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 these books. Um, and that's never going to go away. And I think that there's just going to come a point where publishers don't know how to market something after a while, but the, the need for those books is always going to be there because readers, people who love witch books are always going to want to read more witch books. So it's just, we just got to give it to them. (laughs) And speaking of, my husband has just told me Mm -hmm. that Dairy Queen has been delivered. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe it will (laughs) improve your attitude toward Twilight. Nothing, nothing. Don't make me not talk to you for three days. I will go there. I will do it. I've done it before. (laughs) I will say, so far to date, my favorite vampire movie, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Luke Perry. Mm-hmm. Oh, Luke Perry. Right? It was because of him. It's just because of yeah. Luke Perry. He just wanted to watch Luke Perry. 100%. He's reason. But yeah. that is still, that is my favorite vampire movie of all time. Buffy the Vampire Slayer with Luke Perry. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get you a t-shirt that you have to wear in October, which is, I guess, AKA vampire season because of Halloween. And say Luke Perry is the reason for the season. <laughs> I will rock that shirt. I will put it on a pillow and sleep with it. I think it's I think it's really interesting how I love the fact that instead of because it is fiction that instead of mm-hmm. kind of taking a faith and kind of dabbling with pieces of it 
I love the fact that you created something unique all on its own so that it doesn't actually, uh, you know, impinge or, or kind of, it doesn't misrepresent or, you know, or kind of do it a service to a faith that exists. You're not doing anything. You're you're creating your own magical space with just kind of using basic knowledge you have, but not actually utilizing any specific details of a faith so that you can be completely Mm -hmm. respectful, you know, to those faiths of which you're kind of using some ideals. I, I really love that. I think that's one, I think it's, amazing that you do that and incredibly respectful, but also, man, hats off to you to be so creative. Thank you. I think that's really important and something that I teach a lot of writing workshops. And that's something that I try to tell the, you know, everybody who wants to write fantasy, you know, you don't have to, you, you don't have to cherry pick from all of these different cultures and, and call it, you know, that's what Buffy did, right? Buffy just sort of uh, they just pulled from these occult books and was like, hello, witchcraft, uh, the Hellmouth, vampires, but there's no, there's no actual mythology that goes, you know, there's a, do, do vampires come from hell? Just, you know, they never answer that. Um, and so I, that's really important to me because otherwise your world just sort of falls apart if you pull one string. As much as I loved those, yeah. Well, yeah, because if you do go along with a certain faith, you have to stick with it. Yeah. You can't veer from it at all because otherwise people are going to get mad. So, no, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Yeah, I, I had two teddy bears as a child. One was named Ted and one was named Teddy. So that is the limit of my creativity <laughs> and, and my ability to potentially create any worlds. Like, that's just not going to happen. So when people are able to create these whole uh, you know, scenes and, and I love, I love that you kind of took the sisterhood and the, the fun part kind of of the show charmed, but gave them that, that Latina twist. I think that that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, thank you. And I know that the new charm show is like, there's so they're supposed to be Latina sisters, but the magic is still the same, which to me was a little confusing. I mean, I'm sure it's like the show's still great, but uh, I was like, well, but you're still using Celtic magic. Like that doesn't make sense. <laughs> as far as the magical portion, in my opinion, absolutely none of it makes sense, but, and they just start creating different beings and different run. And I'm just like, whatever. It's pretty people on the TV and they're throwing things at bad guys and they explode. And I think that's fun. And that's, that's pretty much enough. I mean, it's like, it's just, something to take your mind off of something that's like fun to watch and exactly. lighthearted. And it's not, it's like, whatever you're like, okay, okay, cool. Charmed was my gym show when I would was in New York and I was getting up really early and working out like at like seven in the morning. Charmed would be on Fox because that's what they would actually play in the gym in New York. Yes. And I would, I would watch Charmed with the bad subtitles while I was on the elliptical. So that's, that's where I got my Charmed background. <laughs> that's, really, that's really amazing. <laughs> um, so, so slightly different geek rabbit hole, but we need to go down this one anyway. So you've written a number of books for the Star Wars franchise and a couple of those which are entitled Star Wars from a Certain Point of View. Um, As the spouse of a very big Star Wars geek, I would love to hear more about that. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. um, I'm I'm in the, there's a new anthology uh, called Star Wars The Clone Wars 
stories of light and dark. And I'm writing from the point of view of Ventress, who was one of the Night Sisters, which is the witch order of the Star Wars universe. <laughs> Um, and so I thought that was really great because they gave, I was like, yes, I want to write the star Wars, witch. um, and, and it's a, this is a, so that's a pre-existing character. Uh, and I, I've, I've been very fortunate to be part of three anthologies and one original novel and, you know, star Wars from a certain point of view, I got to write from the point of view of the tone, the Tonica sisters which are the only two female presenting people in the Star Wars cantina on Tatooine when Luke Skywalker is going to be like, I'm getting the hell off this planet. Uh, and they're trying to find the Millennium Falcon. So the whole point of, from a certain point of view is uh, 40 stories from 40 authors uh, celebrating 40 years of Star Wars. And uh, we had to write from any character that was not the main three characters so I chose these two super obscure women that nobody had really they nobody had really written about them before. So that was super cool and scary. And I got to work with the Star Wars story group. Uh, everybody who writes for Star Wars gets their work read by the the story group, and the story group is just this fountain of knowledge. They know everything about Star Wars, and and they will tell you when you get things right or wrong. And they also give you a lot of creative liberties, um, not creative liberties, but creative freedom so that you, whatever you're working on, it still sounds like you, authentic to you as a writer. It's just you plus Star Wars. And so with that, with the short stories, that's been great. Um, I, the, my novel, A Crash of Fate, is actually a, a tie-in to the theme park, uh, Galaxy's Edge, um, and on the planet Batu. And so that was that was a weird pitch for me because when they asked me if I wanted to write, you know, a romance set in a teen romance set on Batu, I was like, sure. How much blood do you need? Like, do you need me to sign like any contract? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and, and so after that, they, you know, I, uh, I gave them my pitch and my pitch was like, what if I did, uh, the movie before sunrise, like the Ethan Hawke movie before sunrise, uh, in star Wars, like 24 hours, two people meet and fall in love. And they were like, sure, go, you know, go ahead, take it and run. And I did. And so it's, you know, two best friends who like reunite on this planet and they have to deliver a parcel and, and they, you know, star Wars hijinks ensue. So it's been really fun it was really stressful, but it ultimately it was the best experience of my life because I got to go to the theme park and, and sort of see the world that I wrote about uh, literally come to life. Um, and I like I love that universe and it's so expansive and very I, I found it very welcoming despite, you know, like I know that there's like Star Wars Twitter is really scary <laughs> in some ways, but um, I, a, a lot of the fans have been really great to me. I think that's such a cool concept to come at that from different perspectives. Like, I think that's amazing because like it just tells a whole other side of the story that no one would have ever even considered. 
Mm-hmm. It's like the best kind of fan fiction out yes, there. Because, yes, oh, and there's is. so so <laughs> many of those wonderful characters that like I I mean I'm a char- I'm a character junkie. I love knowing what the characters are up to and why they do it. And so to be able like, to like dig into that yeah. and to see where all these these wonderful characters in this really complex world where they're where they're all coming from and oh what a beautiful opportunity. And so this is more more stuff for people to be adding to their list. I have to tell you, on our shared doc with our show notes, it's really funny. I can see that Kanani has highlighted a number of things we've talked about. I just know it's because she is copy pasting for her Amazon wish list or just <laughs> add to cart. <laughs> She's been caught. <laughs> Kill me. <laughs> So Zoraida, how can people follow your work? Um, I am very available online. I think I spend too much time online on Instagram. I am Zoraida solo Uh, on Twitter. I am the phrase Z like in Zorro. And uh, I I try to post to my website, ZoraidaCordova.com. But not like there's, I, I, I used to blog on there, but now I just do a newsletter which I, I do maybe like once every few months because I'm terrible at, at being author promo person <laughs> uh, since I'm always on deadline. But the, uh, mostly Twitter and Instagram is where people can find my work. And my books are available everywhere. I have really good relationships with independent bookstores, um, specifically uh, The Raven in Kansas and... Um, uh, the, yeah, the Raven in Lawrence, Kansas, which I love because that's where Supernatural takes place. Uh, yes, <laughs> yeah, and um, and a lot of the independent bookstores in New York City as well. So uh, my books are just they're available everywhere. So right as much as we can friends I know it's easy to order from Amazon support your local independent bookseller most of these booksellers if they don't have the book they can order it for you so just go in and say I need everything that Zoraida Cordova has ever written I need it immediately (laughs) and (laughs) if they don't have it on the shelves yeah they they will usually they will usually order it for you Mm -hmm. so um all right well um, Zoraida, thank you so much for being on today. This has just been a delight and has just been made my creative juices go crazy. It might even make Kanani creative. We don't even know. We'll see what happens. Um, and so, uh, thank you again. This has been a real joy. Yeah. Thank you yeah. so much. It's been really great having you on. <laughs> thank you. I really, this is so much. This is so much. It was awesome having you on. It was actually really exciting to have someone on who's like so creative and, and, it was really interesting to talk to someone who does nonfiction. It was actually very cool to learn how you do it. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This is great. And uh, to our listeners, thank you again for joining us. Um, and if you want to support the show, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. You can also buy us a coffee, check out our merch at our Etsy store, or enjoy all the bonus content um, by being a supporter on Patreon. We are also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And for show notes, audio transcript, or to ask us a question for a future episode, go to thatwitchlife.com. Until then, keep moting that shit, witches. Stay healthy. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye. Find us at thatwitchlife.com for archived episodes and ask your burning questions for us to answer in a future podcast. So what it be? I realized, like, 
I couldn't even make fun of you this week for like anything. And there's only been three times in like the 25 years we've been friends where I've not been able to make fun of you like with COVID. Like I can't even make jokes. Um, And that's been to make this about myself. This has been really hard for me. Exactly. This has been a really hard time for myself.